Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And today, since the Super Bowl is right around the corner, we're going to talk about women sports reporters. And specifically, we're focusing on... Football, yes, American football. Apologies to listeners outside the United States. But chances are, Caroline, when we watch the Super Bowl, or if we watch the Super Bowl, I probably will because I enjoy the dips <laughs> that go along with it. <laughs> okay. The only women we're going to see on screen will be cheerleaders, female halftime performers. I don't know at the moment who's performing. And if it's not Beyonce, so why I'm not probably going to just change the channel. But the only other women will be sideline reporters. Right. And the thing about sideline reporters, you would think that's great, right? Yeah. Getting getting women into sports reporting because women know just as much about sports and care just as much about sports as guys do. I mean, this is not a solely male domain. Yeah. I mean, when we had our episode on female football fans not too long ago, it's well established yeah. that there are rabid female fans out there and a Absolutely. lot of them. Yeah. And so these these uh, female sideline reporters, they know their stuff. And so that's that's a positive thing, right? Well, they're not necessarily, as we'll talk about, used correctly. Exactly. Um, but first of all, let's establish that when it comes to sports journalism and yeah, we're, we're narrowing in on the sideline reporting issue since it's the Super Bowl. But when it comes to women in sports journalism, it is tough out there. Uh, for instance, we, we got a couple of choice quotes to kick things off. Sports broadcaster Frank Gifford once said to uh, Melissa Ludke, who is a very important woman in the evolution of women in sports journalism, as we'll get to, he once commented to her, you know a lot of sports for a girl. Ugh. And, and, to play devil's advocate and give the bright side of that, Gifford did invite Ludke to ABC where she met Billie Jean King. It's not like he just, uh, you know, crapped on her head. Yeah, but that sent was, her on her way. That was him being impressed with, uh, with the knowledge. But then, oh, next up we have Andy Rooney and he's more talking about the sideline reporters and I'm talking about Andy Rooney, the late 60 minutes guy who said, the only thing that really bugs me about television's coverage is those women they have down on the sidelines who don't know what the they're talking about. And he didn't say that in 1955. No, no. He, He said that in 2005. And then I think it was last year, Charles Barkley who is now, you know, professional basketball player, now turned commentator, quipped that if you are an ugly woman, you're never going to get on television for sports reporting. So there's just a mess of stuff happening. Yeah. And and it starts with just the fact that generally sports reporting is a pretty heavily male domain. You've got people at the top who are male, people in the middle who are male, people at the bottom who are male, all hiring more male humans to do more of the sports reporting. So uh, there was a 2013 report on race and gender diversity from the Institute for Diversity and Ethics in Sport that found that among 150 newspapers and websites, 90.4% of sports editors were men and 88.3% of sports reporters were men. Yeah, of the 11 women who were sports editors, six of them worked for ESPN. 
Mm-hmm. So that leaves just five out there among 150 newspapers and websites. And I dug around and tried to find comparable statistics for sports broadcasting, but wasn't able to get any hard data. I think because sports broadcasting is even more overwhelmingly male that the line you just hear over and over again is anecdotally like, I mean, just look at the faces on the screen. It's always the tables full of those guys in those massive suits. That's so big. Their suits are so huge. And, I mean, they're pretty big. Yeah, I mean, a lot of them are like ex NFL players, yeah. but the, whew. and shiny ties. Shiny they all ties. have shiny ties, and they've all got their bling rings from their yeah. past wins. And it's just, it's, it's just guys talking. It's a lot of guys talking until you get down to halftime when you have twenty seconds of the female sideline reporter talking to a coach who would rather be doing anything else. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, we 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 gave you those. Those two terrible quotes about women in sports. And and I'm wondering if that attitude that it's okay to continue to say things like that is because maybe these men who are in these positions of reporting or hiring reporters or whatever, um, they just feel like it's comfortable, like... Like, there aren't even any women around, so I can just talk however I want. I think it might be some of that. I think it's also just the culture of sport and mm-hmm. the hyper-masculinity that often goes along with that, especially since we're talking about professional football, right. which I say is probably the worst out of all of them. Um, and so today there's this problem for women who are sports journalists who really want to be reporting on sports and be calling games and analyzing games. And there's this desire for credibility in a market that really just wants eye candy or at Mm -hmm. least just downplays them to just being eye candy. Oh, well, yeah, like uh, Brent Musburger, who in January 2013, about a year ago, called uh, Holly Rowe, sports reporter, smoking. Yeah, I mean, then uh, right after ESPN was like, no, 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 no. He said that the the sporting event she was reporting on was smoking, but Musburger was not helping himself out because he had previously gotten a wrist slap for ogling a, a college quarterback's girlfriend I mean, for an extended period of time during the BCS championship. Wouldn't shut up. Yeah. Like, wouldn't stop talking about her, even to the point where he's like, hey, little boys out there watching TV, you better go play with the pigskin in the backyard with dad so that you can get a girlfriend like that. Yeah. Or it's just like, can we talk about football? Yeah. Can we talk about some football? Um, So there was a study, though, driving this point home. uh, There was a study, female sports journalists, are we there yet? No. (laughs) Published in 2005 by Marie Harden and Stacey Shane, which found that 85% of women working in sports journalism, this is not just the sideline reporting type of stuff, this is sports journalism on the whole, feel as though they're not seen as equals because of their gender. And Rachel Nichols, who's a CNN sports reporter, said, uh, just kind of back this up, she said, when I meet players for the first time, they can be a bit guarded. Right off the bat, they assume you don't know what you're talking about. It's harder to get the story sometimes. And speaking of harder to get the story sometimes, just researching, doing basic research for this podcast was a little bit challenging off the bat because when you look up women sideline reporters, you know what Google gives you? It gives you about a million galleries of the hottest 
sideline reporters, sexiest sex spots on the football field. Uh, for instance, there was one of, I'm sure, many over at Bleacher Report written by uh, Zach Pumerantz, who said, quote, whether they possess impeccable journalistic skills or look amazing in a tight skirt, these broadcast beauties are all ready to instill chaos on camera. Ugh. Well, it makes me sad because already it's, you know, women are being told, you know, you're not wanted. You're not welcome here. You know, this is this is a safe space for men. And we're going to talk about you however we want, you know, and it's. It's, I think, that much more impressive for the women who have broken through, do have that credibility, are, you know, able to call games, whether, you know, in any sport. I think it's that much more impressive that they've broken through and become successful. Yeah, but at the same time, too, with that success, they also have to deal with being pitted against women who have been hired by broadcast networks specifically for how they look. Right. You know, I mean, if you think about football and the fact that who's on the field who are women, it's cheerleaders. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes these women who also are doing playboy spreads. Right. It's it's like setting it's setting us up for for this kind of problem. Um, But the, the history, though, of women in the sideline reporting is kind of fascinating. And a lot of this is coming from an article in the Washington Post and also the study, The Credibility of Female Sports Broadcasters by Amantha Gunther, Daniel Kautz, and Allison Roth, who note that in the 1930s and 40s, a woman named Mrs. Harry Johnson, just the fact that we don't even have her first name. I know. And I searched for it. <laughs> yeah. And it is lost she's, in history. She's just Mrs. Harry Johnson, uh, was a sports commentator during her husband, Harry Johnson, we can only <laughs> assume, uh, during his broadcast for Central States Broadcasting in Omaha, Nebraska. And she's considered kind of the first female sports broadcaster. Mrs. Harry Johnson. Oh, Mrs. Harry. Um, but in the mid sixties, you have Jane Chastain, who became the first woman to conduct play by play coverage of a live sporting event in Miami. But in the 1970s, that's when stuff really starts happening, because in 1972, you have, for instance, the passage of Title IX. And also around this time, you have the New York Times and Washington Post being hit by gender discrimination class action suits and being legally forced to bring on their first female sports writers as a result. And so then in 1974, CBS brings on the same Jane Chastain as the first female NFL announcer and Leslie Vissy as the first female sideline reporter. And Leslie Vissy is a huge pioneer. She had a a ton of firsts in Mm -hmm. terms of NFL reporting, and she's considered one of the legends. Yeah, well then right away you've got the, uh, that back and forth between do we hire someone who knows her stuff or do we just hire someone who's pretty? Not that you can't have both, but there is that dividing line there. Uh, in 1975, CBS hires former Miss USA Phyllis George as a sportscaster as part of this new trend to hire former beauty queens and cover girls. 
Yeah, I mean, that also reminds me, this is a total stuff mom never told you tangent, but it reminds me of in our episode on Barbara Walters, Mm -hmm. when she got her slot on the Today Show, and I don't have the year in front of me, but how notable it was that she got that role on camera, because before that, it had all been beauty queens. Yep, because and actresses and just people who were there to be a pretty face. Yeah, I mean, because these networks are being run by guys who, you know, assume that that's what the consumer wants to see right. on the TV. Um, but then in 1977, we have a big event. This is when Melissa Ludke, the, the woman who was told that, you know, a lot of sports for a girl, uh, she was working for Sports Illustrated and her pub, the publisher of Sports Illustrated, Time Inc., sued Major League Baseball for not allowing her to enter into male locker rooms. And the uh, Major League Baseball commissioner at the time said, well, we haven't been able to poll players' wives about whether that would be appropriate, so Ludkey can't come in. Well, also, that he was saying that their children, these players' children, would be made fun of at school. Yeah, what does that well, even mean? I, I have no idea. But Ludke won. Yeah, probably because that's sort of a, a laughable defense. Um, but she won. And this was this was a huge deal at the time. And uh, a lot of these professional sports teams would bully. And I mean, uh, the sad thing is this is did not stop in the 70s. But these teams would bully women and also put like a sexual spin on it, saying that, well, women wouldn't be able to handle it if they went into locker rooms because that's when men are, you know, in various states of undress. And it's just, you know, oh, they wouldn't be able to contain themselves. Whereas these sports writers like Ludke are saying, seriously, I don't want to have to go into a locker room. It's disgusting and smelly in there. But this is part of my job. It's like if if you want to scoop somebody or get a hit a deadline you got to be in there right after the game yeah well there were a lot of instances of like team managers and people saying fine nobody can come into the locker rooms at all and so then you have that that heated that anger between the male reporters and the female reporters being like well you've screwed us all and it's you know just simply to keep women out of uh out of locker rooms and the following year, in 1978, we have another milestone with Jane Kennedy, who replaces Phyllis George, becoming the first African-American woman to host a network sports TV broadcast. Um, but Kennedy was another one of the pretty faces. I think she also ended up becoming the first African-American woman to be on the cover of Playboy, for instance. So it's still that kind of trend happening and I hate that because that's a, it's a great first in a way mm-hmm. with the, you know, the first black woman to be doing the sports broadcasting, but then it's only continuing this eye candy factor. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think it's, ugh, I just don't like that from the get go, the, the sexiness has to be paired with the woman being a sports reporter. Yeah. Like from the very beginning, th- those two things go hand in hand. Yeah, um, there was, the NFL did bring on one female announcer at the end of the 1987 season. Gail Syrians called a Chiefs Seahawks game for NBC. And when the Washington Post published this article, I think it was in 2009, all about its legacy of women being relegated to the sidelines, the NFL's stock response that they gave was, quote, the NFL network certainly will consider these and other female broadcasters for future play-by-play roles based on their interests and opportunities to do play-by-play on the NFL network, which at this point is very limited, which basically says, just shut up. 
and yeah. let us play football. You yeah. know, we don't really care. Well, as Kristen said, the harassment that these women reporters faced was not limited just to the 70s. In the 1990s, we have sports writer Lisa Olson, who ended up becoming so fed up with player harassment, particularly from the New England Patriots players. She eventually left for Australia and that harassment was a result. Um, basically, you know, she had she had been subjected to some pretty horrible stuff in the locker rooms. She sued. The Patriots were fined and individual players were fined also. And the fans just like couldn't handle it. They the harassment that she ended up facing resulted in her moving to a different continent. So that wasn't too long ago, Caroline, in the 1990s. And as we move into the situation for women sports reporters and especially female football announcers today, Things have changed, and yet they haven't changed so much. And we will get into that when we come right back from a quick break. And now back to the show. It's funny how some have said, well, you know, we have all these women being allowed into male locker rooms. But what if a male sports writer wanted to go into female locker rooms to which... One female sports writer once quipped, well, we would love for you to come into women's locker rooms. But the problem is, is that, you know, women's sports are often also relegated to the sidelines in a way because people typically don't care about them nearly as much as they do men's professional yeah. sports. Come on to the locker room. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Come on in and interview our players about the, the sports that they just participated in, but, yeah. but no thanks. Please, right. please talk to us about athletics. Um, so again and again and again, we have this issue of women sports reporters when it comes to football, especially being stuck in these sideline roles where you have the conundrum of the credibility versus the eye candy. You have some people asking whether or not they should even be there, whether sideline reporters have any value whatsoever, and whether or not women are ever going to be able to get up into the announcer booth. And Lori Orlando, who's the senior vice president, for ESPN said to the Washington Post, quote, women have historically moved towards sideline reporters because that's what has been acceptable. The industry is changing. And of course, this too will change. That was in 2009. Nothing has changed. Yeah, nothing has changed. And, and you know, her quote is so nice. It's to, so nice to read. But it's it's I you know, we've people have talked about this, the issue just solely of sideline reporters, women sideline reporters, since there have been sideline reporters. And really not much has changed. People still look to those reporters as being just eye candy. Yeah. Um, it was interesting, too. Pam Ward, who has been an ESPN sideline reporter since 2000, very well respected in her field, said, quote, more than 90 percent of women who ask me for career advice want to do sidelines because that's what they see as possible. They see it as a female role. And she almost feels bad for encouraging them so much to mm-hmm. get into sideline reporting because she realizes experientially that that's the ceiling a lot of times. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate like to picture, you know, women being funneled. They're going up the, the funnel from college into their careers and they just sort of like go to the side, like literally in this mm-hmm. case, sideline reporters, instead of continuing up the pipe into the more coveted sports reporting positions. 
Yeah, I mean, and someone like Andrea Kramer, who, like Pam Ward, is a very well-respected uh, football reporter, uh, she argues that there is a value in sideline reporting because of all the action going on on the field, that if you know your stuff, if you have institutional knowledge of a team that you really can ask the right questions and really be able to inform the commentators, the play-by-play callers in the booth of what's going on on the field and whether or not momentum is changing. But, I mean, she's having to argue against a lot of people who are saying that the job really isn't necessary because a lot of times sideline reporters are given, what, three 30-second slots, one in the first half, one in the second half, and one at halftime when Mm -hmm. they're, like, chasing down a coach who's not going to say anything to them. Right. And so when your only question is like, hey, coach, what are you planning for the second half? And he's like, keep winning or try to (laughs) score more points. Yeah, I can see how you and I mean, I as someone who really does not watch football, when I do watch football, those sideline reports are cringe inducing. And I hate it because I'm like, oh, she's just this beautiful woman in like a really beautiful jacket. And they're just putting her down there to fail. And I mean, I think, you know, Kramer and others argue that sideline reporters are very valuable because, like you said, Kristen, if you know your stuff, if you're able to read lips and, you know, kind of observe what's going on and funnel that knowledge up to the booth, then you're earning your keep. But I would have to then agree with other people's assessment that, like, if you're not even allowed to do that, if you're just hired because you're a pretty face and you don't have that knowledge of the game, of the team, of what's going on, if you don't even know the right questions to ask, then you're set up to fail and you're not going to be contributing the way that people would like to see. Well, and unfortunately, it also makes all of those more earnest sports reporters look bad in a way. Not that attractiveness and uh, in-depth sports knowledge is mutually exclusive at all. But um, this is something that Isabel Markham, who is an aspiring sports reporter, was writing about over at the Daily Beast and she called it the beauty premium and said that it's aspire, it's damaging, excuse me, to aspiring sports reporters like her. And when she interviewed ESPNW reporter Jane McManus, um, McManus made a really interesting point, which was, quote, it's definitely a job that pits two different kinds of journalists against each other and that does not happen to men in our industry. Basically, the the eye candy versus the more hard-nosed, credible journalist. Yeah, I feel like with men, there doesn't have to be that, yeah. that dividing line. It's like, well, you're a man, so you know football. And so, and that's another thing that these reporters are coming up against, which I think we we kind of highlighted earlier with that quote, as far as just like, you just look at me and I'm a woman and he's a man and you just automatically assume that he knows more than I do. You know, yeah. when you might have a mediocre male sports reporter and a fantastic, educated, in-the-know female reporter, and she's just not going to get the same scoops sometimes that her male colleague would get. Right. And then but in terms, too, of the beauty premium for women in broadcasting, it, I mean, unfortunately, it, this is a snapshot of the broader fact of the matter mm-hmm. where... Yeah, I mean, prettier faces for women are often going to get jobs more often because when that Musburger thing happened where he called Holly Rowe smoking, so many jokes were made about like, well, Musburger certainly isn't smoking. Look at all of these men calling the the plays in the booth that we're having to see their faces and it's not like they're on the covers of GQ. Yeah, yeah, it, it yeah, exactly. 
And then we have the issue of the fact that there's just very little racial diversity as well. Um, this is coming from a study called On the Sidelines, Sex and Racial Segregation in Television Sports Broadcasting. And they point out that people of color are not going to really be in the booth either. They said they're most likely to be found doing competition level reporting, followed by studio analysis. They're less likely to work as play by play announcers. Well, there is one analog to the issue for female sports reporters of the the looks versus the credibility issue that was actually brought up in the comment section of that Daily Beast piece by Isabel Markham, which is that now you're seeing more and more ex-professional players automatically being moved into those massive suits <laughs> and calling games yeah. and not necessarily being so good at it. So some would say, well, you're seeing the same thing. It's these it's these like huge dudes who are just being given jobs by virtue, though, of their actual experience on the field. I don't feel like it's a valid argument. Yeah. And it's still part of the system. Yeah. And by the system, I mean, like the capital S system. Yeah. So, yeah, that's not not equitable. And this might seem like a frivolous issue to spend an entire podcast episode talking about. But if there's one thing that comes up over and over and over again, whether it's something like women in sideline reporting or women in STEM, visibility makes a big difference. For sure. You know, for sure. And, and there are there are some big names that that we should talk about as far as women who have played a big role in sports reporting. Um, one is Mary Carrillo, uh, who will be serving as an Olympic correspondent for the upcoming Winter Olympics in Sochi. But she's a former ten- pro tennis player who did an incredible job as a tennis analyst. She was actually named tennis's top analyst by Sports Illustrated. She's won two Peabody Awards for her work on sports documentaries looking at women's participation. Um, I mean, you know, she she has made quite a mark. Yeah, I feel like tennis is one of the rare exceptions in pro sports where you are a lot more likely to see mm-hmm. a Mary Carrillo, Billie Jean King women commentating. And I, I'm not exactly sure why that is. Maybe it's because there maybe men and women have more of an equal playing field with tennis, maybe because of Billie Jean King winning the battle of the sexes against Bobby Riggs and proving that women, you know, have their stake in that game. I don't know. But I would argue that tennis is completely devoid of the culture that surrounds football. Oh, absolutely. Like there's no I mean, I don't when I when you say picture a tennis fan, I don't immediately picture a man necessarily. I mean, try, I just picture someone wearing white. Try to picture a Wimbledon dip, mm, you know, Wimbledon, Wimbledon wings. Sure. Yeah. No, no. But I mean, wings, I picture wings and I am happy. But no, I mean, yeah, it's 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 not that same. But also you have to think about like, I feel like football is like this American macho stereotypical dude, like kind of culture around it, whereas tennis. It's all over the world. It's men and women playing. You know, it's it's just it, you can't, it's apples to oranges almost. And so it, while it's fantastic that tennis has more female commentators and announcers and all that stuff, um, it's it, not the same. Yeah, it's not necessarily as impactful, at least speaking to, you know, American audiences for Girls who might want to be sports journalists, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it's like the the quote from Pam Ward, where like all of the women she talks to or 90 percent of them, at least aspire 
to be sideline reporters. That's mm-hmm. as good as it gets. It's like, no, think bigger. Yeah. Why think bigger? Well, because in a lot of ways, too, I mean, football is such, uh, you know, one of the last bastions of just like exclusively like men stuff. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have female football teams. You right. don't have like, I mean, you have cheerleaders on the field and that's it. Yeah. So and and the lingerie league, which doesn't count. But for that reason, though, it is great to have role models like a Leslie Visser, who we mentioned earlier, who was the first female beat reporter to cover the NFL, the first female member of the Monday night football announcing team, the first woman sportscaster to preside over the post Super Bowl presentation, speaking of Super Bowls, uh, of the Vince Lombardi trophy, and even the first female sportscaster to carry the Olympic torch. What hasn't she done? Because she actually is one of the rare women who has called an NFL game. Hmm. Leslie. Leslie, I know. And then, you know, we mentioned Andrea Kramer earlier, and she uh, is actually working with the NFL Network, focusing on player health and safety issues, and she's worked on more than 20 Super Bowls. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of Super Bowls. I remember growing up watching Robin Roberts, who is a lot better known now for working, I believe, with Good Morning America. Um, but she got her start on Sports Center that I used to watch back in the day with my brother. I always enjoyed, too, the, the women on Sports Center. She, uh, Robin Roberts had, what was her catchphrase? It was something like, go on with your bad self. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Eh, anyway. Well, then you also have Hannah Storm. She's the first woman to, by herself, host a national show for the for Major League Baseball from 1994 to 2000. She's with ESPN Sports Center now, but she's covered uh, the NFL, NBA, and Wimbledon. Yeah, I mean, and the thing too about this is that even though we've talked over and over again about football, specifically American football, this is not just an issue with football. If you watch an NCAA basketball game, if you watch the Masters golf tournament, if you watch NASCAR, if you watch baseball, you know, if even if you watch soccer or football, uh, depending on where you are listening to this podcast, it's still overwhelmingly men who mm-hmm. are who are calling the game. And you also, too, with European football, you have the sexy sideline reporters as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, we we can hammer it over your heads. We've talked about it before, but just visibility, visibility, visibility. I mean, getting girls, little girls to dream bigger. Yeah. And and aspire to be the sports editor. Yeah. The one who does the hiring, the one who goes out there and gets all the stories. And, and something to watch out for, aside from the commercials in the Super Bowl. So female sports fans, especially want to hear from you. I mean, what do you think about this sideline reporter issue? Is it frustrating to see women always relegated to the side? Is it frustrating to see women obviously maybe being on camera because they are very pretty? I mean, a lot of them are very attractive. Great hair. Great hair. I love their jacket, like I said. Oh, man. And then also getting hit in the head sometimes by footballs. It's tough out there. It's tough out there on the sideline. Oof, yeah. So (laughs) email us at momstuffatdiscovery.com. You can also tweet us at momstuffpodcast or message us over on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now. Well, I've got a Facebook message here from Laura in response to our episode on women and hunting. And she lives in central Wisconsin, a place, she says, where deer hunting is of the utmost importance to most people. Seriously, I almost typed something that most people live for. 
She writes, here are a few things that you might find interesting, by which I mean problematic. Number one, in my middle and high school, parents could sign permission slips that would allow their child to miss school during the first part of the gun deer season, and many of them did. Attendance was often so low during those days that those of us that did attend got to watch movies. Number two, there's Widow's Weekend, which is a term used widely by most people and the media to describe the first weekend of the gun deer season when women will go shopping or go to the spa or do other girly things because their men are out hunting. And then number three, one of the things you didn't really touch on in your podcast is the fact that many women participate in hunting as a way to bond with the males in their lives, fathers, brothers, boyfriends, etc., Some women genuinely love these interactions. However, some women and girls will pretend to be more into hunting than they actually are because they think it makes them a cool girl slash wife slash daughter. When I was a teenager, many couples went deer shining, which is when you drive around with a large light and try to spot deer, as a date. I'm not sure how many of the women actually thought this was romantic, (laughs) but it was definitely a pervasive part of the teenage dating culture in my small town. So thanks for those insights, Laura. Deer shining. I, I can't say that I would have been really interested in that, but I went mud dogging in my youth. That was what probably is, the what closest. What is mud dogging? It's when it's very dangerous. It's when you go into the woods in preferably a truck after it's rained and there's a lot of mud, and you drive recklessly through the mud to splash around. Children don't go mud dogging. Oh, yeah. it's just you make mud splash with cars. Fun, yeah, mud splash. Um, well, I have a letter here from David about our crafting episode. Um, or I guess episodes plural. He says, I am a gentleman with a degree in fiber, and it was always fascinating having conversations about making work using, quote, women's work as my medium. I grew up loving cross-stitching and all kinds of crafts, and I was stoked to find out I could major in it in art school. Since then, I have made my living as a puppet maker, prop designer, and installation artist. I am mostly contacting you, though, to introduce you to the work of Ben Venom, who does this beautiful but almost cartoonishly masculine type of quilt at BenVenom.com. So thank you for your letter, David. Yeah, and definitely check out Ben Venom's work. It's uh, They're extreme quilts. I'll put it that way. Uh, so thanks to everybody who's written in to us. Again, discovery.com is our email address. And if you want to find out all of the different places we are on social and also check out every single one of our podcasts, videos, and blog posts, there's one place to go, people, and you should go there right now and many times after. It's stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 